deep concept. So when we talk about righteousness, we talked about it in four parts. We talked about right judgment. We talked about how justice is part of God's righteousness. That his idea of right and wrong is very key to how his, his uh, uh, about righteousness. We talked about right relationship and covenant. We talked about how um, God sees us in, in, in light of covenant. And covenant is a word we don't use, but it's a relationship that we enter into with God. And that means that God responds to us in a certain way because of that covenant. We talked about right receiving, that righteousness is a gift. It's, it's not something you earn, it's not something you create, it's a gift. And finally, we looked at right acting, which is a process. That righteousness is not just simply the three above it, but righteousness is also you acting a certain way. You, you, you behave a certain way, and that, that way grows. That, that what you struggle with, what you wrestle with, hopefully the idea behind it is that, you know, as your life progresses, you, you begin to grow in, in what God wants for you. We wrapped up with a passage from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For we do not have... A high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And we look at this passage from verse 14, which precedes it, but looks to this. For by one sacrifice, he's, been, he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So what I said to you last week was, God does not look at you, does not see you according to what you are. You are broken. You are sinful. Remember, whenever people in the Old Testament see God, they freak out. Why? Because they are confronted by something that is pure and holy in a way they can't understand. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, he sees God and says, Woe is me from a man of unclean lips. His sin is apparent by confronted with God. But Paul says righteousness. God sees us clothed in Christ's righteousness. It protects our heart, which is the well of our sin, which we hide deep, dark things within us. And so Paul says that righteousness is that thing that that we cover ourselves in. So then God sees us. He sees us as perfect. We don't feel perfect. We don't act perfect. We don't think perfect. But when God looks at us, he sees us clothed in righteousness, which is Christ. And therefore, the breastplate of righteousness is, is, is the truth that we are righteous through Christ. And the enemy who would whisper to us, you're no good, you're sinful, you're broken. These are truths because we are, but they just bounce off of us because we are clothed in righteousness. So that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to continue on and look at the next piece, which is going to be Something kind of different. Um, let me just say this. I've really enjoyed this series. Uh, apologies if you have it, but man, I am so, I am so, I can't, I can't believe I missed all of this. Like I've, I've, I remember, I told you this, but back in um, last year when we did our anointing service, I said that God had kind of spoken in my heart that I should teach this series. And I remember back then thinking, I remember God, we've heard like, a hundred sermons on this. Like, you know, is there anything really new about this? But as I began to study, as I began to get deeper into it, I realized, oh my goodness, I had no idea that there was so much uh, a part of this. And remember, let's not get caught up on the armor. It's not about the armor. It's about the attack. We are in a spiritual battle. And what Paul is trying to help us to understand is he's showing us pieces of armor that protect areas of weakness. And the areas of weakness are how the enemy wants to attack us. This morning, we're looking at this next piece. The next piece is going to be, again, 
you know, spoiler alert, it's gonna ha- we have to kind of go dig deep in this to understand what Paul's talking about. And he, the, verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Truth was our first offense against lies. Righteousness was our next offense against the unrighteousness that we feel. And now peace, Paul says, is going to be our next offense. But let me introduce you first and foremost to a caliga or caligae. Which is, uh, which is the Latin form of these uh, boots, these, these sandals. They're heavy-soled, hobnailed military boots known for being issued to Roman legionary soldiers and auxiliaries throughout the Roman Republic and the Empire. One historian said that the reason why the Roman army was so effective in its battle was because of its footwear. And you're like, how does that work? Well, see, you need to understand something, right? The Romans, as the, as the Roman Empire began to expand, they began to have all these battles for territory. And, and again, we're not talking about the morality, but we're just saying that that was the truth. And militarily, these, these shoes helped soldiers for two reasons. One, when, when, when Romans would fight uh, different uh, people, what they would find is that these soldiers would come to them either with no shoes on at all or very flimsy shoes. So what they would do, what Romans would do, is they would sew the ground in front of them with spikes. Just imagine these, these poor individuals running to, to, for battle and stepping on something. And all of you cringe because you've stepped on something sharp. You're like, ah, you know, you know how, how debilitating that is. In battle, that is deadly. So on the one hand, it, it, it gave the Romans a superiority in regards to mobility. But the other thing, too... Is the other way the Romans killed you was the Romans were very efficient in their battle. That's why they used a short sword. So what would happen is, is the Romans would have the the front line would just have these short swords and they just they would just cut you, and and they would fall. But then how they would kill you is they would they'd walk over top of you and they would crush you. And as they're walking over top of you, the people in the next lines would just stab those people they're walking over. It was a very brutal form of warfare. But as they as we saw with the expansion of the Roman Empire, it was very effective. And it all began with their footwear. But now, a couple of things we need to talk about. When, when Paul says our feet fitted with readiness, what we need to understand is that when you think of readiness, what you think of is ready, set, go. Right? That Paul is saying, get ready because you're going to go traveling. You're going to go, you're, you are going to go accomplish things in the world. But that's actually not what he's mentioning here. The word that Paul uses in the Greek actually means, um, it, it's more about firm footing. In Roman soldier formations, the first one usually was the one that bore the brunt of the enemy's assault. We'll talk about this with shields in, in upcoming weeks, but you need, you, you've seen, you know, glad you've seen the movies, right? These big shields, and the soldiers would be holding it, bracing it for the onslaught of the enemy. But what you don't know is that as the first person's holding the shield, his person behind that guy is bracing the first, the front line, because these 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 armies are coming at them with spears, with swords, and so the front line bore the brunt of the assault. But the assault was braced upon their feet. Think about it, okay? Like, apparently there's a sports event tonight. And I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just look at this as cheap chicken wing day, but apparently something else is going on. But when you watch football, thanks for that person who got the joke. Um, when you watch football, what you see on the defensive line is these enormous men, right? And they are bracing for position. But when you see them, when you, when you, watch, when you when we watch them take their position, you'll see them adjusting themselves. Why? Because they are creating a defensive line because they know that there is an onslaught of other very large gentlemen coming at them as well too, right? They're bracing themselves. The word Paul is using here is not about going somewhere, but it's about bracing yourself. Um, the feet were what braced the unit to the assault. So what you need to understand when Paul's saying your feet are fitted with readiness, Think of it as steadiness. 
Think of it as, as this idea of, of getting ready to receive an assault. And again, Paul's already kind of intonated this. Three times before we get to this verse, Paul is saying this. In verse 11, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Um, verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to, take, to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. And of course, uh, verse 14, stand firm then. What's Paul trying to say here? Brace yourself. Okay? Brace yourself because... The enemy who wants nothing more than to pull you down is coming. And if you are not, if your feet are not braced for this, okay, you will, you will fall and you will fail. So the first part of this verse is really about a firm foundation, about a steadiness, okay? So Paul is saying, be prepared on firm footing for what is to come. There isn't, Paul, Paul's not saying, well, you might be attacked, you might not, I'm not quite sure. Paul is making the assumption that you will be attacked. You will have an assault. So brace yourself, okay? Make sure you have firm foundation. Now, the second part of this verse is this idea of gospel of peace. Now, the first question we have to ask is, what is the gospel? If I was to say to you, and again, this is rhetorical, uh, so you don't have to answer, but if I said to you, what is the gospel? Now, people would use different things like the gospel is good news, and that's correct. But, but what, is, uh, what is it about the gospel? We use this term so much, but not many of us really define it. What is the gospel? Well, Paul kind of gives us in 1 Corinthians a great snapshot of what the gospel, and believe it or not, the gospel has certain parts to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the, of, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Again, see the language here? Paul is repeating this idea of, of gospel taking your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So, you see what Paul's saying here. Listen, this is the gospel, Corinthians. This is the, this is the gospel, Corinth. But unless you stand firmly in this, you will fall. You have believed in vain. As a matter of fact, Paul is saying, beliefs matter. How you believe and what you believe is important and will, and, will, and, and will dictate your future. And if you believe incorrectly about what the gospel is, your belief will be in vain. Now look what he goes on to say. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. By the way, that phrase you might have recognized it because a couple of chapters beforehand in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul uses the same phrase to talk about communion. As I, it was passed on to me, I passed on to you. So Paul is trying to show here a, a continuity of, of, of Scripture. Look what he says here. This is the gospel, okay? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and the twelve. Now, you may have defined the gospel as Jesus dying on the cross, and that is true, but that's not the full gospel. See, Paul, uh, what Paul is saying here is that the first part of the gospel is that Jesus came and he died for your sins. Yes, people dying on the cross happen all the time. But what makes the gospel true is that Jesus didn't just die, he, he experienced resurrection. And so the secondary part of it is that, that, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures and that he appeared, that people saw the resurrected Christ. 
And this was the gospel that they preached in the early church. That Jesus came, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he was buried but raised again three days later and was witnessed by the apostles and other followers. This is the gospel. This is what Paul says is the gospel. And, and so whatever you think of, of the gospel, whatever you think about your understanding of it, it must have this depth to it. The depth is not just simply Jesus dying on the cross, but resurrection. One of these days I'm going to do um, like a series on the resurrection because when you look at the scriptures, resurrection appears so many different places. And for the early church, resurrection was their hope. It wasn't the forgiveness of sins. It was resurrection, but that's at a later date. So what we know here is we know that Paul wanted us to have a firm foundation, right? Ready, steadiness. But how does peace accomplish that and what is the attack? Remember, this is pieces of armor. This is a piece of equipment that we need to survive our faith. So Paul says that, that the gospel is a part of that. But how does that give us peace and what is the attack? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 14. See, the opposite of peace is not war. It's fear. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. The gospel of peace, whatever it is, the steadiness that we need to have is the, the, because of the attack that Satan wants to give, is going to attack us with is fear. The gospel of peace is a defense against the enemy who will attack with fear. See, the thing that everybody has in common in this room, you're all afraid of something. And you're not just afraid of one thing, uh, confession, I'm afraid of spiders. I hate spiders. A couple of years back, uh, my kids and I went to the Toronto Zoo, and I came face-to-face with this thing called a bird-eating spider. Now, I just want you to wrap your gray matter around that. There is a spider that eats birds. Now, if that doesn't talk about then, I don't know what does. If that's not about the fall, I don't know what else there is. I can point any atheist to a bird-eating spider and say, look, this is, this is the consequence of sin, that this was created and exists on this planet, that there is a spider that drops out of a tree and, and, and eats birds. Uh, anyways, I'm afraid of spiders, but you know what? My fear of spiders is not going to rock my faith. It's going to freak me out a little bit, but it's not going to rock my faith. That's not the fear Paul's talking about. We all fear things. We fear loss of relationships. We fear loss of income. We fear loss of health. Julianne's testimony this morning, I told her this in the first service and second service. Like, it's funny. Nobody knows what I'm preaching on. I, you know, I barely know what I'm preaching on on Sunday morning. And so the worship team and, and the testimony, we don't, we don't put them together. I wish we were that clever. We don't. We allow God to kind of work through that. So when Brian chose his songs and Julian told her testimony, I'm sitting there in the first service. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, you, are, you really want us to understand how fear is, is a part of our lives, right? Julian is talking about as a young child fearing death. What child should fear that? It's, it's an irrational fear, but unfortunately that fear permeated her life. You fear things in this room that, and, that, and that fear will drive you to behaviors that you wish you didn't do. Those, those fears drive you away from God. Um, 
there's a great article. It was on, uh, I was, as I was preparing for this, a couple weeks back I saw it. It was on Relevant uh, Magazine, and it said this, the greatest false idol of modern Christianity. And, and this is what it says in the article. The truth is, fear has become a false god. One, uh, one too many of us worship with complete and undying devotion. It goes on to say, the symptoms of fear idolatry are pretty easy to spot. When you're not sure that God is there or that he'll really come through, you start to spend most of your time defending him in absentia. You become a self-appointed crusader of truth whose mission it is to do the holy work of policing the world just in case God can't or won't. How many times have I said to myself or you said to yourself, God, are you really there? Are you really with me in this moment in time? Are you, are you really with me in this path I've chosen? God, I've, I, I, I've come to this school. I've chosen this program. But is it the right one? Am, are, did I miss out on you? Like, is there uh, uh, this fear of missing out on God or closeness with God? God, am I good enough? God, am I, am I accomplishing what you have for me? Like, this, these fears, they, they, they crawl through our brains like spiders. And, 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 and what it does is just simply, it, 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 it is an attack that is so... Perfect. You know why? Because what we see even in the garden is a fear drives us away from God. Genesis chapter 3. And a man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. See, sin brings exposure to God. And that exposure makes us sensitive and it makes us hide from God. Your fear at, 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 at the base, at the core of it will drive you away from God. Because what you fear about God is that you are unlovable. That you are unsavable. That, you are, that, that, that God can't use you. That you have been misplaced, replaced, or displaced by God. We fear that. And because we fear that, the devil's like, oh yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And he whispers in our ears and we hear it. And then what we say to ourselves is, you know, how can God love me? How can God, how can God love me when I've done this? When I've, like Saturday night, whatever you did, whatever you didn't do, you, those, those things haunt you. And this fear drives down into our heart and the enemy uses it. So we talk about the gospel of peace then. So we talk about the gospel, but now what is it about peace that's supposed to do this? Because here's the thing. Jesus kind of throws a wrench in the whole peace thing when he makes a statement like this. <laughs> do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this verse has been misunderstood throughout the ages. People have said, oh, God wants us to be violent, to take up the sword, to fight. You know, if you're you know, a pacifist or you have Mennonite background, like, oh, no, I, I don't believe in that. You know, he, here's a funny thing, okay? What you need to understand what Jesus is saying in context of this verse is, is that Jesus says that when you become a Christ follower, there is a violence in your life. And the violence is Jesus comes and he's going to be the first and foremost priority in your life. And every other priority is shaken because of the first priority who is God. The sword is a separation that takes place in our lives between our former way of looking, of living, and, and this new way of looking. Right? But then look what Jesus says in John chapter 16, just to confuse us even more. I told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Remember this statement on the very bottom there? 
The closer we draw to God, the more important we become to the enemy. Please write that down somewhere. Tattoo that on the person next to you when they're sleeping or something. No, but you need to hear this because when you draw close to God, it's like there's a light inside of you. You go from a zero-watt light bulb to like a 100-watt light bulb, and all of a sudden the enemy looks at that and says, okay, i got to squish that light out. And the best way to do that is by attacking them and drawing them down. And fear is such an effective tool. Fear is, is, is such an effective tool to, to drag that person down. And Jesus says, listen, when, you, when, when I become the center of your life, your life looks differently. But understand something. My peace will, will be with you even in that moment. And what Paul is trying to help us understand is, is that we need to wrap our mind around the firm foundation upon the gospel. We are, our feet are braced on the, go, on the gospel. And we are about to be hit with an attack of fear. But when you're on the gospel, when you're on Christ, when you, know, when you know who you are in Jesus, there's nothing the enemy can do to rock your world. There's nothing. Because the enemy comes to you and says, you're no good. You're like, you're right, I'm not. But it's Christ, I am. The enemy comes to you and says, you're sinful. You're like, you're right, I am. But Jesus has forgiven my sins. See, the firm foundation is the assumption that the attack is going to come. And the assumption the attack is going to come makes you prepare yourself in a way that drives out that. Look what it says in 1 John uh, chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Now look at this. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. What do we fear? We fear punishment. We fear God's anger, his wrath, whatever word you want to use. And we fear that rightfully so because we are creatures of wrath. That's what, that's what you're taught in the Bible. And whether you are comfortable with that or not is irrelevant. It's in the Bible. We, by our very natures, rebel against God. We are not sinful because we sin. We are sinful because we are sinners. We are created in sin. There's a war going on in your souls and your spirits and you know it. But that's only one part of the truth. That's the part of the truth that the enemy wants to drive into your head every day that you wake up. You're no good. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. You know, God doesn't love you. He, he, he's so angry at what you've done. And how, do you think he can forgive you of your sin? The one you keep asking for forgiveness for? The thing that you keep falling and stumbling over? You think God's going to forgive you? And that worms its way in our heads and our hearts. And that fear drives us from God. Just like Adam and Eve. We are no different then than we are now. That fear drives itself in our hearts and drives us from God. I love what the psalmist says. Again, we're not sure if David wrote this. But man, uh, when I was afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Fear at this core is loss. We fear what we can lose. We fear what we hold on to. Finances, health, relationships, academics. Those of you in fourth year, you fear what's next. Okay, I've got all this school and all this debt. What am I going to do with it? Right? We fear outcome. And that's the problem with our faith is we, have, we live an outcome-based faith. I fear failure. And we think that we fail. God's going to be unhappy with us. But God's like, failure is the best way I can teach you what you need to know. At UCC, we don't pray outcome-based prayers. We do not teach that if you follow God that your life will be great or that you will be blessed or you'll have lots of money or health. That's not, we, we don't believe that at all. As a matter of fact, we kind of think the opposite. That the closer we draw to God, the more dangerous we become to the enemy and the more all he wants to do is crush us and push us down. 
That's what he wants to do. And fear does that. Anxiety does that. We, you feel it in your, in your life because the foundation you're basing yourself on is your works. How good are you? How smart are you? How much do you know God's word? How much do you love him? You know, and all these things find its way into our lives and the enemy kind of speaks that to us. And we listen to him except the Bible says the gospel of peace makes us ready. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, but because of his undying love for you. Let me close with one last scripture. Ephesians chapter 2. Brace yourself. There's been a lot of words on the screen, but what, just this is so good. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. Stop there. You see what, do you see what Paul's saying to the church in Ephesus? You, by your very natures, are objects of God's wrath. Why? Because you are sinful. You are broken. You fall and you fail. And again, you, you hear that. You're like, I feel it. I pretend otherwise, but I feel that, right? But what Paul is saying here is God is, uh, Jesus, through his death on the cross, the gospel has taken us and God and joined them in unity and has has forgiven us for uh, our sins because of what Christ did. That's the gospel of peace that makes us steady and ready for whatever comes. But now look what it says here. It goes on to say, His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So that word access, fear drives you from God because you believe God can't love you. Fear drives you from God because you think that what you've done, what you haven't done, what you think you know, what you think you don't know, you think that that's access to God. And you think your way is, is, is barred with access to God because of, you, uh, of, your, of your behavior. But this passage shows us, and by the way, whenever this writer, Paul, is using hostility, that's us. Our hostility towards God. Paul says that Jesus, through his death on the cross, took that hostility and he made peace. You who are far away, this morning you may be here, this afternoon you may be here, and you feel far from God. The gospel of preached is those of you who are far. Maybe you're here and you are, you, are, you are serving Jesus and you are trying your best. You who are near the gospel of peace. Stand firm. Ready. For the attack. It's now. It's then. It's every day of your life. You brace yourself. And when you wake up every morning. You, f- you hear it. You, you, you feel it. But then you say. I, am, I, I, I live in the peace of God. Because of Jesus death on the cross. I understand my sinfulness. I understand my brokenness. But that's not my claim. That's not my truth. My truth is. I am forgiven. I made pure. Brian's choice of songs this morning was leading us right into that. This is what we want. This is what we strive to live for. 
Fear is the attack the enemy will use. Fear will drive a wedge between us and God. And if you're based upon your actions, your deeds, how good you are, how good you're not, you are on a rocky foundation. You will not stand. But if you're based upon the gospel of peace, then no matter what the enemy throws at you in fear, you, you have the answer. And the answer is the gospel. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, again, I do this every week. I don't want to let you rush out of here without God speaking to you. I believe very firmly that this teaching this morning, this afternoon, has really uh, resonated. I spoke to several people in the first service how they, how fear, without realizing, has been the dominant part of their lives. My prayer is for you is that you would stop living in the enemy's fear and start living in God's peace. Peace which is upon Christ Jesus. Peace that is not based upon your works. Peace which is not based upon anything you've done, but was bought by the price of the cross. The first attack was lies. The second attack was unrighteousness. But the third attack is fear. And my prayer for each of you is that you would live in God's peace. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray right now by your Holy Spirit, you would just speak to the hearts and the minds of every man and woman here this morning. God, please drive out fear in our lives with a perfect peace, which is through your love. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died upon the cross for my sin, me who is unworthy of it. Thank you, Lord, that you saw me in my sin. And the scripture says, while I was still a sinner, you died for me. Lord, I pray right now that we would not allow the fear of the enemy to drive us from God, but instead we would, we would ask, Lord, that your love would drive us to you. Lord, I pray you would transform us and change us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you would remind us of the gospel of peace, that we can have a firm foundation in our lives. When the storm rages around us, God, you are our peace. May that truth drill deep into the very dark places of our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.